This is Captain Jeff, and welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. And what a podcast. I've never recorded a podcast about any subject or with any guest that caused more controversy and more emotions before we even uploaded it. A while back, we did a uh, podcast called The Last of the Turtle Hunters that I thought the people that were in, you know, the turtle lovers were going to get offended by, but this totally blows it away. Black Dip H, Josh Jorgensen, goes on a fishing trip, catches a huge tarp and pulls it out of the water, thinks he might have a world record, takes some pictures, puts it up on the internet, and people freak out. And the reason they're freaking out is because he held the fish out of the water and, you know, tried to hold it up for the big picture. And here in Florida, that's a giant no-no. You're not supposed to do that. So I get it. I understand where some of the outrage is coming from. So I reach out to Josh. I want to get the full story on the giant tarpon that he caught. So as I do that, I, I start promoting the podcast and the interview. And as I promote that, the hate and the emotions that came out in the comments we've never experienced before. I mean, stuff like, is Black Tip H going to teach us how to kill a tarpon? Another person wanted me to reprimand him. Like, come on, Captain Jeff, tell him he's an asshole because he took that fish out of the water. Okay, I've been on the internet, social media, and I've had hundreds of millions of exposures and comments, and I've never put my two cents in on how big somebody's fish is, how they hold it, or what they do with it. And if I was going to put my two cents in, I would not make that public. For instance, if I saw you holding a giant snook underneath the gills and blood was coming out on your hand, I would not publicly criticize you for that. Maybe I'd DM you and say, Jesus, man, you might not want to put your hand up in a snook's gills like that. That's horrible. And I might do that privately, but I would never do that publicly. And on the record, never have. Many people expressed the opinion that I shouldn't have them on the podcast. Kind of like that cancel culture theory. Yeah, well, that ain't happening. We've always put crazy stuff up. And if it's a topic, we'll put it up. I'm not into canceling somebody else, not into boycotting anybody. The story's the story. If you don't like the story, so be it. If you like the story, so be it. But you will get the full story here on The Real Guy Podcast. And the last thing that people wanted to know and commented a whole bunch on is they wanted my opinion of whether or not, um, one, he should have took the fish out of the water. Well, no, I don't think he should have took the fish out of the water, and I don't think I would have taken that fish out of the water. It was a mistake. And I think Josh will um, explain that he realized he made a mistake, you know, during the podcast. But do I think he should have took the fish out of the water? No, he should have left it in the water. Would I have left it in the water? Yes, I would have left it in the water. Do I think the fish died because he took it out of the water? Probably not. And I'll tell you why I say probably not. Because for years, guides took fish out of the water for pictures like that. And I've personally done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'd have to say, the vast majority of the time, we're able to put them back in the water, revive them, and let them swim away somewhat healthy. So the fish probably didn't die. I still don't think it's a great idea for people to take them out of the water. I mean, especially people that aren't used to handling tarpon or caught them for the first time or haven't released thousands and thousands of tarpon in their life. Those people probably should not take him out of the water. Therefore, I'm not going to take him out of the water, hopefully setting a good example for everybody else. 
Now, if you look at my old pictures, you go back 10 years or so, you see that type of picture and that type of handling of the fish all the time. And I know damn well that most of those fish were just fine. So I don't think the fish died necessarily. And one of the last things people wanted to know from me if I thought it was a world record. I have no clue if that fish was a world record. It was extraordinarily big. But I've never killed a tarpon. I've never weighed a tarpon. And quite frankly, I've never really measured many tarpon. So I don't know if that thing was a world record or not. Josh thought it might have been a potential world record. And he'll get into that in the pod. In this interview, Josh was extremely and boldly honest about his thoughts. And he really doesn't care if he offended the audience or not. And that's totally up to him. But you do get the real story from Josh himself. And the last point I want to hit on is I cannot come up with the energy to actually hate something this minor. And what I mean by that is the same time Josh let this fish go after pulling it out of the water, we were releasing tons and tons and tons and thousands and thousands of gallons of toxic water into Tampa Bay. The sewage system in Fort Lauderdale is still leaking every single day. Fish kills are going on up in Titusville area every single day. So it's extremely hard for me to get that pissed off about a guy that takes one fish out of the water in Columbia. So when you listen to this podcast, you're going to realize that you and Black Tip H, whether you love them or you hate them, 90% of you guys are exactly the same. You want the same things. You want clean water. You want good fisheries. You want the government to be responsible and held accountable for all the toxic waters that they're dumping into the ocean every single day. We want the same things. To hate this guy or to hate anybody for something that is not the problem is not the answer. Which is why we started the CCN, the Coastal Community Network, the media company that promotes content that counts in your coastal community. If you're not a member, please become a member today for as little as $10 a month. The Coastal Community Network. Go to coastalcommunitynetwork.org and sign up today. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Josh Jorgensen, Black Tip Page today on the Real Guy Podcast. Josh, thanks so much for spending some time with us. What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? Really glad you could make it on the podcast. Been wanting to get you on here for a good while. I want to congratulate you on how many years now uh, on YouTube? Uh, been doing it since 2006, full time since 2014. So you went full-time in YouTube in 2014, yeah, and um, you're still doing that now, correct? Yep. Well, that's a hell of a run because um, YouTube, you've basically been into it for the life of YouTube, and um, it's really been, in my opinion, the number one mover in the world of fishing. And you know what I mean by that, a mover? Dude, it's insane, bro. You know, And you know what's even more insane is that the industry we're in still doesn't get it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the fishing, the fishing industry really has a tough time <laughs> with marketing in general. Everything's such an infomercial and it's so sponsor-driven. And um, you know the problem, what I've learned with the problem in the fishing industry is, is hmm. the problem is, is the companies are run by fishermen. <laughs> That's nothing against fishermen, but it, that, it's, it's just like, you know, everything's about the way they view you know, how things should be instead of, I call it like doc captain mentality. Like they, they're in the little bubble 
and they can't see past that. Even if you show them it straight in front of their face, they can't see it. Right. Kind of like the so deep in the woods, they can't see out. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what the problem is. Yeah. And it's been like that for a long way. I mean, um, you know, originally, you know, the magazines controlled everything. Then yeah. TV, then TV got into the game a little bit. And then YouTube has just totally dwarfed the industry um, in general. You know what's crazy, dude, is I was talking with uh, someone that worked with Mark Sosin back in the day. Mm-hmm. Bro, he had huge sponsors. Like Pennzoil was one of his sponsors. Um, did think? Can you imagine having to make 12, 9 to 12 episodes a year and getting paid probably more than half a million dollars a year to make those shows? Like, oh my gosh, dude. Those guys had it made. Well, it was gold back then. You know what I mean? It was, it, dude. It was, it was gold back then. And then I think the industry, you know, realized that they could finance the industry through through those TV type episodes. And they did for a long time. You know? You know, when and I then, went full time, I, I had, I've always believed that we would accumulate those goals. You know, like we would, we, you know, hey, build the number one platform and then, you know, the, the money will follow. And, I start to believe now, like, unless you want to do Dollar Shave Club and, you know, Poker Stars and all these gimmick things that don't even match fishing at all, mm-hmm. very hard to find companies that will pay for integrations. You know, nobody wants to pay anything. And it's it's uh, it's not at all what I thought it would be. The fishing industry is is incredibly difficult to make money with. If you want to produce a high-quality show – Mm-hmm. For your production costs, where you have real production costs, and you're not just walking around with a GoPro in your chest, right? It's very hard to make money. Yeah, extremely. And I, I think that's one of the misconceptions about um, a lot of the people in the audience is they don't understand the amount of effort and energy that it takes to get out a quality production on YouTube. Um, yeah, when it's what, all said and done, and and it's different on a per production basis, but it cost us anywhere from, I mean, just raw costs, not making any money. Right. I'd say when the editing's done and, and it's all said and done, I'd say probably three, 3000 bucks per show. Really? You're spending that kind of money on production. Yeah, man. I mean, do think about it, bro. Like when you if we travel, like we, we just recently had a trip to Colombia. You know, you got to pay for your flights, your hotel, all the little fees in between. You know, your camera operators. Then you have to pay for your editing, uh, and post production, your music. All, dude, it adds up, man. It adds up. Much respect to um, all the footage that you've got over the years on um, the mullet run. Yeah, um, you know what? That's more like a documentary now, bro. Um, because me and you have both talked about this before. <coughs> Unless something changes, I, I think those days of seeing mile-long schools and all that glo- all that glory, I think those days are long gone. Right, right. No, I think you're correct. Um, unless something changes big time, I think we've seen the best of the mullet run. And I think that's one of the one of the misconceptions about the mullet run is people think that oh that's like um, an easy thing to oh it's so hard to, to catch time or, run. To, or to get footage or you know it's like people don't understand the amount of effort time 
the hits and misses that it takes in order to get good mullet run footage. Because, I mean, I was fortunate because I'm a fishing guide, so I know where the mullet are. I know how the migration's working. I know where you can get good footage. Yeah. But unless you're on top of it every single day, I mean, it's a struggle. And I don't think people realize the amount of time and energy that you put into it to get that type of footage. Oh, dude, it's gnarly how much time it takes, man. And uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, drones have changed everything, right? So, like, you know, I, I was the – I remember getting our first mullet run footage. We had to use drones that didn't even have a camera on them. You know, we just strapped a GoPro to it, flew it blindly, and then we got, and then we would scan through the footage, then, you know, later that day or the next day and go, wow, we got something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's um, – everyone's got a drone now everyone's getting these drone footage so like for me and the coolest shots for me never were the drone shots the coolest shots for me are your top side tarp and airing out like those are the hardest shots to get and like you said those i mean you need to have fishing knowledge um i've been on the set with many people from bbc nat geo discovery everyone um and it's it's just been you know, if you don't have that information, that knowledge of where you think the fish are going to come out by reading how the baits get bait gets nervous, good luck. You know, right. but like everybody, like I said, has a drone now. So there's like 10 billion drone videos of the mullet run now, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, like, like, I mean, I, I love getting drone footage of it, but it's like, there's like no point anymore. E- everyone's got it, you know? Correct. 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 And I think, I think when we did YouTube, um, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, all that type of footage was, was eye-opening. Oh, and, yeah. now, and now it's kind of dulled over. And to be able to adapt and to change to stay relevant on YouTube, um, you have to understand, you know, what the eye candy is going to, I don't know how do you say it, get diluted after a while. So you have to keep making it interesting. And one of the That's things... That's the hardest do, part, man, you know, because everyone in the world now has a YouTube channel and everyone's trying to copy. I mean, you know, and I'm just going to say it as it is, bro. Everyone's trying to copy a lot of stuff that we've done, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're inspired. Um, but it's just like, it just cheapens everything we do, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I, I really look back at the TV guys go, wow. You guys have no idea how good you had it. I mean, first you had to pay to play, so not everyone can just become a YouTuber or or a fishing show person. And two, the technology didn't exist to easily produce content. And that's where, like, you know, like I remember I was with BBC. We were doing something for Shark Week. No, no, I'm sorry, for Blue Planet. Mm -hmm. Dude, we rented a... They rented a, a helicopter with a Cineflex, cost thirty thousand dollars for one day, which you can do with the same stuff for the drone, you know. Right. But that was just that was before the drone technology was really there. Right, right, right. Same. I almost feel bad for some of the people that were in the industry way back then, because what they got paid a lot of money to do and what they really you know they got, got good at big money, bro. <laughs> they got paid big money. They got really good at it, and then like the rug was pulled from underneath their feet. Yeah, that's what's really interesting with camera operators. And that is like, and I've heard it from so many photographers and that like, you know, there's so much demand now and everybody can buy one of these cheap 
mirrorless cameras that can produce a really high quality image. And, you know, it's just the technology is so affordable now. You know, your iPhone looks better than a broadcast camera did, you know, like 10 years ago. Right. You know, it, it it's it's so accessible now that anybody can access it. And like you said, you feel bad for them. Like I feel bad for a lot of these people that learn these skills and, you know, they're like deprecated now. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. When I went to, when I went to college in the eighties, you know, everybody told the students that, you know, you needed to be, you need to be able to write code and you need to be able to do all this stuff. And now we just ship that, that whole industry to ship off to foreign countries that can do it for, you know, a tenth of what we can do it for here. And you just never know how technology is going to impact different markets. But when the, I went to school at Full Sail for web design and development, mm-hmm. when I entered the school, everyone was getting paid six figures by the time they graduated for coding. Mm-hmm. I went to web design and development. By the time I graduated, the average shot was 40 grand. Right. What had right. happened is in the world of programming, everything became template based, everything. So the custom code days are gone pretty much unless someone wants to get real crazy and have a big budget. Those days are long gone. Right. And you might as well just teach Shopify and or or, or um, one of the main platforms and then just teach them how to how to how to modify it because it, it's a. Uh, the days of making real money on code is very hard now. Everything's, and I, I tell people, t- people, I tell people all the time, like, don't think for one second that these you're gonna you th- you think you're hiring an American coder. Trust me, he's he, he's he's outsourcing that to someone in the Philippines or Eastern Europe for a fraction of his price. Right, and he's just making sure they do a good job. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now the um, how hard it is to time up the fishing and how we've seen the fishing from the time we started doing YouTube, call it 15 years to where it is now. And conservation is obviously something that is very popular now compared to when we started doing YouTube, say over a decade ago. How do you see YouTube helping conservation efforts and where do you see the, um, the fishery as a whole, because I try to explain the fishery to people is the opposite graph of the stock market. It just keeps getting harder and the bar keeps getting lower every single year. Um, what I think social media and YouTube has done is it's really made information and more importantly, spots readily available. You know, when I, when I film, you know, we, we always try our best to hide especially if it's a sensitive spot to hide where we're fishing. We don't want people to know, right. You know, because we don't want to ruin the spot, you know, you got to respect your spots, but you know, the problem is, is very few spots now are sacred, you know, like, and, it, and the spots that I have that are that good, I won't even film there. I won't, I just, I, you know, I, I want it to stay the way I want it to stay. You know, I think social media and that has, has been one of the reasons we've seen such a decline is because so many people are fishing now and and so many people are so well rounded with their fishing techniques that it just the fish don't stand a chance you know like and i think we need to really i think NOAA and the fwc really need to get with the times because i, I i'll say this and i don't mean to be depressing but if we stay this part for the core status right now 
Mm-hmm. I think in five years, we'll see the complete collapse of our fishery. You're still going to have sailfish. You're going to have flying fish, but your coastal fishing, your, your sardines, your pilchards, your thread fins, your, your bunker, your menhaden, gone. Just write it off. They're not right. going to exist anymore. And, and once you start losing these larger baits, you know, bait migrations, even the mullet run, gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impounded. Um, it's so bad, dude. I remember last year, like, bro, like, you, it's like a one-week window now. You know, it lasts a week. It used to last almost two months. Right. You know, it, it, it's been annihilated. And, you know, I just, if, if you lose your bait, you're going to lose so much because the predators aren't going to stick around. Right. Well, the story, that's the story, Josh. And what frustrates me so bad is the traditional fishing media to talk about the mullet run amongst a lot of other things. And they want to take the glory story and promote it all through their type of media. But very few of them, very few of them, will talk about the demise of the mullet run or the demise of the bait migration or the demise of the inshore fishery that we've seen. Um, And it frustrates the piss out of me because never once as one of them asked me about that. They all want to know about, you know, the National Geographic, the big exciting part of it, because they can sell ads for that. But I don't think they want to know the truth, or if they do know the truth. The truth sure. is our fishery, South Florida has grown so quickly in population that we have sewage problems. We're dumping disgusting water with from Okeechobee east and west into the into the reservoirs where we've destroyed our our estuaries where you know people don't realize how important seagrass is i mean seagrass not only is a habitat for fish but it's also a hiding place for small fry that is growing bait fish fry or you know i mean dude think about it without seagrass just a bunch of pinfish could annihilate everything you know like nothing stands a chance to got we got to have natural habitat and it's just big money man like the commercial fishing of bait fish is billions of dollars. The commer- the the sugar and the subsidies is billions of dollars. You're you're going up against monsters, Goliaths, you know, literally. And how do you stop it? I, I don't know. You know, right. I mean, well, I you know, a- unless you become incredibly radical, I don't think you're going to stop it. I did a podcast with um, with Marciano from Wicked Tuna, right? Yeah. And he firmly believes that because there's so many small special interest groups amongst the fishing industry, whether it's commercial fishing, sport fishing, inshore, offshore, fly fishing, even like um, going into the other water sports, you know, you get the Surfrider Foundation, you get all these different people. And they all have the same goal in mind, which is because everybody's so fragmented and go in different directions, it's never going to come together. And I think to answer your question, until everybody unites, I mean fly fishermen, light tackle fishermen, offshore fishermen, commercial fishermen, surfers, kayakers, beachgoers, moms, until we all unite and get on the same narrative, we're going to lose this battle. And we're going to lose it because other people are extremely focused. And our industry is so fragmented and going so many different directions. I think the reason our industry is so fragmented is because there's just too many egos. Like 
I mean, dude, and I'll burn it up right now. Look at the tarpon I just caught. I mean, I got, you know, it's a world record size fish, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's indisputable. You know, um, the fish is, it's the biggest tarpon I've ever seen in my life. And, um, dude, the, the backlash we got from people, I was shocked. You know, and, and, and part of it, I believe, is just people that are so insecure, they just, they have to jump on the bandwagon. They got to make themselves, you know, make, make everyone believe that they're like, they're so pure, you know, and it's, that's not what this is about, you know, like, it, it's, it's, and that, that's what I realized. I, I realized through the comments and, and the DMs that I got, I realized that this industry is much more fragmented than I even thought it was. And I knew it was really fragmented, but that took it to another level. Well, let's talk about the giant tarpon, because that's why I really wanted to um, reach out to you. And, and I wanted to talk about the whole adventure of getting that giant tarpon. So we originally went to Colombia, dude. Our goal was to fish the sardine migration. Now, these are not sardines like Spanish sardines. These are really strange bait fish i i I, you know what i have to i'll send you a picture of one that they're they're very unusual um i i thought when we went through they were going to be spanish sardines but they weren't and that was our goal was to catch cuberas yellowfins sailfish mullet snapper um uh, bluefin trevallis we're supposed to catch all these really cool fish that, that are feeding these gigantic bait balls we never found one of these bait balls and while we were searching for them, we were, you know, just trying to, you know, you know, on the, our first day when we landed, we just wanted to go and kill some time, right? Mm-hmm. Like we had four or five hours of fishing. So we just went to one spot where uh, Alberto from Fish Columbia, he said, there's, there's some fish here, you know, cause I wanted to catch my first rooster fish, you know, and he said, there's roosters and bears here. So we went there, we were trolling around goggle eyes and I uh, caught a rooster and the first one, not big, maybe like five, 10 pounds. I don't know how big it was. Right. Um, and then I said, look, hey, let's go over that rock over there. I want to throw a cast of that rock. You know, there's probably a Cubera on that. And then I remember when Albert, before I had the cast, Albert was like, man, we really have to keep moving here. You know, we can't keep staying in this one spot. I said, let, let me just throw one cast here and, you know, see what happens. So I threw a goggle eye at this rock and 15, 10, 15 seconds later, boom, gigantic splash, close the bale and this the biggest tarpon I've ever seen in my life jumped. And I, I remember when it jumped, dude, I was like, how is that fish that fat? I was like, I was just looking at like, what is going on right now? You know? <laughs> and he jumped like four times, dude. He went psycho. And we were using 60 pound fluorocarbon with a circle hook and an octopus style circle hook. And, you know, in March 28th of this year, I had, I herniated my L5 S1 disc in my back. So the whole month of April, I didn't fish. I just, I used it as recovery. Um, this was the beginning of May when we caught this fish. And I, um, I really, uh, I thought I might've been able to do it, but I don't know, 20 minutes into the fight or some of that, my legs started going numb and, th- you know, thank God Dr. Robert Borrego was there, you know, because I, dude, I, the last thing I want is, is this to be chronic back pain i want to heal i want to be better so i just said no screw this i'm going to pass a rod off it's 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 not one fish is not worth destroying my body for the rest of my life 
So I passed it to Robert. He fought it for about an hour. I took it back, fought it for 20 more minutes. Then I was in, in extreme pain. Then I passed it back to Robert. And then Robert fought it again for another 20 minutes, some of that. And, and then um, then get passed. Then he passed it to Alberto. And Alberto finished the fight. And then I grabbed it, the fish. Dude, I had the leader right here in my office, bro. I, I said I had to keep that. You know, I had the hook and the leader to cut the fish on. And it was so chafed. He was hooked on the outside. He wasn't hooked in the inside. There's no way we would have caught him if he was hooked, hooked inside the mouth. Right. Um, he's hooked just outside the cheek. And got him in, dude. And I remember, bro, like, you know, your adrenaline's flying, right? So, like, like, like I wasn't even thinking about back pain at that point. Me, Robert, and Alberto tried to pick this fish up. We couldn't move it. You know, we needed a fourth man to come in there and help us lift it just to get the photo. And after we got the photo, I wanted to put put in the slowly put in the water and, and hold it and, and revive it and you know do your typical tarpon thing, right? But the problem is this boat had like three foot gunnels and right. a rail, so we tried that and the fish slipped out of our hands and went in the water. He did a quick turn under the boat and. Uh, Alberta was on the other side looking for it. You know, he ran over there and the fish just took off. You know, we never saw it again. Right. Um, it didn't just sink to the bottom. Like some people think that's what happened. It, it it took off. And, you know, I would have loved to spend a few more minutes or whatever, 10 more minutes in the water, you know, reviving the fish and looking at it. Cause it's just, I just think that's so cool, but it was too big of a fish and too high of gunnels to, to, to do that. And I'm sure if we were on a skiff, that would have been different, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, you know, the technical pulling skiffs and that type of, you know, uh, boat is designed for that kind of thing. You go over to Columbia or any place else in central or South America, there's no telling what you're going to fish on. So you make do. And then, um, yeah, you got to remember like, so in Columbia, from what I understand, there's not a single port, along the entire coast, okay? There's no docks. So like when, when we went to the, the lodge, you get off the big boat, the big panga, and then you go on a small panga, and then you, you you surf the waves in and get to the beach. You know, it's it's gnarly, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's gnarly. You know, I'm, I'm, the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to destroy the equipment. Um, but it was uh, it was quite an adventure. It was really, really cool. You know, it's something I've never done before. You know, now that I've done that, I'm like, it's not that bad. You know, you just got to do it right. But to talk about releasing the tarpon, okay? And I was, when I saw the uh, picture of the fish, I was totally floored. I was like, wow. Yeah. And years ago, if somebody caught a fish like that, they'd have put a gaff right in the head. Oh, yeah. You know, they would have killed that fish. They would have brought it in. You know, they would have went for the world record or whatever. And wouldn't have got that much flack for killing the fish. And it's amazing to see the so-called the so-called fishing world that's into conservation that would give you such a frigging hard time about releasing a giant tarpon as opposed to somebody putting a gap in it, bringing it for the IGFA so they can get the world record. Now, according to you know the new IGFA rules, you know you can now do measurements and that kind of thing, but that's new. For years, people have been killing those giant fish. You know, you, you know what's interesting is if I could do it all over again, number one, I would bring a scale with me because I don't even know if they have a scale there. Number two, 
Um, I would have killed the fish. It, it wouldn't have counted. I just wanted to know the actual weight. You know, like formulas are great, but I wanted to know the actual weight. And to be honest, I would have loved to have brought that fish to Ray at Cane Sailfish Mounts. He would have loved to have made a mold of it. And then I would have loved to have made a full bone mount of that fish and put it in a, in a glass case. Um, you know, dude, I've never killed a tarpon in my life. I've, I've never, it's just not in me. You know, it doesn't register like I'm going to kill a tarpon. Like I don't, it's a fish that you're just taught and trained to release, you know, and I just, in the moment we, we just went like, we, dude, let's let it go. We got to let it go. It's a tarpon. You know, it's not, it's not a yellowfin tuna. It's not a, it's not a, um, whatever, a Warsaw grouper or whatever, dude. It, it's a, it's a tarpon. You know, you're just, that's how you're wired, especially growing up in Florida. Right. So, dude, and we had no idea how big this fish truly was until we got back to the lodge and got Wi-Fi. I mean, we just assumed, nah, 200. And then Dave was like, dude, like, there's no way. And then Robert's like, dude, I just caught a 250-pound swordfish. Like, there's no way. And then I, maybe it was 250, you know. And then look at the picture of the Florida State record, the 243, and we're like, that's 243 pounds? Are, are you kidding me right now? Um, and then we started taking measurements, um, you know, and p- plugging them in, called Ray and and uh, Billy, sent them the photos. I'm like, guys, w- w- what do you think? You know, and they're like, that's a 300-pound fish. There's not even a question about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and for Ray, Ray's mounted over a 1,000 tarpon in his life. That's his favorite fish in the world to mount and paint. You know, the guy's incredibly knowledgeable. I and mean, Billy... You know, him and his dad, they got over 300 IGFA records. They've seen it all. What I find interesting is is this is not my first time dealing with these kind of people, right? Normally, I see this a lot in the dive community, you know, like divers, you know, you know how it is. The sharks are their friends, you know, they name them and blah, blah, blah. They live in this little fantasy world. Um, and, you know, they all, if they do it long enough, they all get bit, you know, but like, you know, so we've always got a backlash from them and. Let's just be honest here. Fishermen and divers don't really get along. You know, like my favorite is when you're anchored up there fishing and then the dive boat just pulls right up beside you, puts the flag up and then sends divers in the water. I'm like, dude, are you really? It's just, it's <laughs> not. But we've always had, feed, you know, negative feedback from those people. And to be honest, I've, I've blocked hundreds of them. I just don't even want to hear it from them. Um, <clears throat> but it's surprising to see how many of these fishermen, you know, complained to me about this. Yet when you went to their profiles, they all had photos of tarpon out of the water. It's like, what are you trying to do right now? You know, and I just realized, dude, it's just jealousy, man. Like, and you know what the sad part is? Is I'm not beating the drums going, we're the best. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go wear a shirt that says my tarpon's bigger than yours. To be honest, dude, it's it's a tarpon. You know, it's it's a great fish, but there's so many fish out there. You know, like honestly, I think that's an amazing fish. I really do, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But, dude, in in my mind, I think a grander blue marlin is is far greater. You know, um, but you know, like that's what I realized. These guys, like I told you, dock captain mentality earlier. These guys live in their little world and, and that's their prize. That's their, that's the ultimate fish. And 
someone caught the fish they wanted to catch. And normally, dude, if someone catches like somebody went out there and caught, you know, for me, like one of the coolest things that could ever happen in Florida is someone if someone ever got a 200 pound black tip, I don't think they exist. I think I think there's 160s, 170s, maybe, but 200, you know, you got to go to South Africa or, or in the Pacific, you know, you know, like, even, uh, like you know, Panama or, or Colombia have them, but they're just not here. You know, the, the state record's 152, I believe. And, you know, like if someone caught a 200 pound black tip, dude, I'd, I would be like, oh my gosh, that's insane. I, I'd be, I'd be pumping their tires nonstop. Right. You know, I'd be jealous because they caught it and I didn't, you know, it's just right place, right time. That's all it is. Right. Right. Yeah. And the jealousy thing, it's always been a big thing in fishing. The ego thing that you mentioned has always been a huge thing in fishing. Growing up in the industry, it's almost like you got to take a course on how to deal with it. I don't know, at least not from the digital side of it. I don't pay attention to anybody that's ever hated on any of the productions that we've put out over the years. The way I look at it is in order for them in order for them to be emotionally involved, whether they like you or they don't, is the motivating factor. You know what's crazy, dude, is it's it's just it's so interesting how everyone in Florida thinks everyone everyone in the world should obey Florida fishing laws. Like go to Louisiana, for example. Everything's different. You know, I mean, it, people may not even know this, but I just found this out recently. There is a spearfishing tournament in Louisiana where they whack tarpon. They shoot them with spear guns, perfectly legal, and they've been doing it for over 50 years. Huh. They blast them. There's videos on YouTube of them doing it. Just, they go down to these rigs where there's thousands of tarpon giants, dude, 100, 100 plus pound fish. Right. And they, they blast them, you know, with spear guns on scuba. Um, you know, that's two states over, man. Right. I you didn't know, even, you, you mentioned that to me the other day. I didn't even know they did that. Um, it, was, I mean, it might be three states over, but yeah, that, that's, that's right across the Gulf in America, you know, and, and that's, that's the, I mean, if you've been there anyone listening, have you ever been to, to Venice or Southern, you know, down there in the, um, the Bayou, those are, those are your, those men live off the land, dude. They, they don't, they don't, there's no grocery stores. There's no McDonald's. There's no, none of that. You either catch and eat what you catch or you starve. You know, <laughs> you better go up to New Orleans to go find some food. You know, it, it, it's, those are, those are real men down there, dude, that really do it, live off the land. Right. And different lifestyle, different mindset. And that's the thing that's, that I find so interesting is like, you know, I almost consider it like you have to, these a lot of these fly fishing guys and, and we, we know this with fly fishermen and, and I've always been stereotypical towards a, you know a pure fly fisherman. I think I respect what they do, but the rest of the world isn't beneath you because you can catch a fish on fly. <laughs> nope, nobody cares. I don't. Dude, I, I caught a world record size sailfish on fly in Guatemala. We caught a, I caught a 140 pound Pacific sail on fly. We couldn't kill it because it was, you know, it was estimated on 140. We obviously didn't weigh it, but we couldn't kill it because. Um, you know, you're not like, you're not like killing there, but like, I, I don't care, you know, wow. I've caught bigger ones on 50 wides, you know, like it, right. it, it's cool, but like, what's the difference between throwing 
a topwater spook and throwing a fly, to me, there is no difference. You know, it's, 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 yeah, the way you, you know, the way you pull line off your reel and you maneuver the rod, great, fine. Yeah, there, there's a little more technique into getting a good cast in there, but like, who cares? Right. You know, I mean, like, just go fishing and enjoy it. And don't, don't, don't think that you're better than someone else because you do it differently than someone else. I, I don't, it's like, what's, what's the difference? You know, like, like I, I notice these guys that, that all they use is lures. And they're like, oh, you caught that on live bait. It doesn't count. I'm like, dude, who cares? <laughs> dude, that's who been cares? my that's been my life story. All the artificial guys getting getting antsy with me because we're always touting live bait. Who gives? Who cares, dude? <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, it's just, dude. Just just stay in your lane, right? You know, like if you like catching fish with lures, if you like catching fish with flies, if you like catching fish with live bait, if you like catching fish in a freaking cast net, long as it's legal. Who cares? Right. Seriously. Right. Leave them, leave people alone. You know, don't force your opinion on people because you feel entitled to do so. And that's what, that's what happened with this fish. Right. And I see it over and over again. And it frustrates, it frustrates me like crazy because people will be so hypocritical about what they choose to get angry about. For instance, we dumped more sewage in the water than anybody's ever recorded here in Fort Lauderdale. And the outrage was nil. You know what I mean? Maybe we should have strung up a manatee and friggin' waved the thing and then talked about the sewage spill so we get some friggin' attention. But the the hypocrisy of it all, with the hate on how you catch a fish, how you release a fish, all this different stuff. But then when a sewage spill like that goes on, you hear nothing. It's crickets. As hard as you try to motivate them to understand that that's the problem. The problem is not catching a fish and holding it out of the water is that may be a small solution to help the health of a fishery, but that is not the problem. The problem is we're dumping sewage in the canals. The problem is, is that our drain system is all fucked up. The problem is, is Lake O is contaminated and we're dumping that into the ocean. But the the selective outrage kills me. Like I said earlier, dude, stock captain mentality that that's what I've coined it. It's just people that, live in their own bubble. Like, you know, as long as it's not happening in my backyard, I don't care. That's the mindset. Like, you know, oh no, an earthquake happened in Southeast Asia. You know, like I feel terrible, but how many people say, I feel that's so horrible. How many of those people are going to actually fly out there and go help those people? You know, like, you know, people don't, most people don't care, man. You know, as long as it's not happening and directly affecting them, they don't care. And that, you know, I don't want to get into this, but, you know, I will mention it. Like people right now, um, as long as they see their 401ks going up, they don't care. What they don't realize is what we've done to our economy through the incredible amount of money printing, our M1, the the exponential increase of our M1 money supply, and the fact that our stock market is not even a free market anymore. It's completely controlled by the Fed. And that everyone and their grandma's manipulating these stocks and it's full of cheating and lying. Dude, the stock market is is the biggest joke I've ever seen. But as long as people's, you know, 401k is going up, no one, no one's gonna care. As long as they're making money, no one's gonna care. The the fundamentals of dude, you could take Warren Buffett's fundamental stock books and you might as well just throw them in the furnace. Pointless. <laughs> You're seeing PE ratios over a thousand. Are you kidding me, dude? Yeah. Like 
there were, dude, I, I looked at it in, in 2019, I think there was 230 companies that went public. Last year, there was 480. And this year so far, there's 589 companies that have gone public. Um, and these are SPAC and just, dude, these are, these are, these are companies that have gone pub that, were, that are going public that if in the eighties and nineties, banks wouldn't even back, wouldn't even like investment banks wouldn't even touch them. You know, like, like these are, it's basically like the penny stocks are, are becoming the booming stocks. These companies that don't even make money, they're fundamentally, they're fundamentally a bankrupt company and yet they're going public and having hundred billion dollar valuations. It's insane, <laughs> but that's what we live in now. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, as long as it helps me, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a microcosm of the fishing world. Yeah, it is. It's, and it's, it's looking in, it looks great. Now. You never see more fish on YouTube than ever. You get all these YouTube stars. You get everybody on TV gloating about all the nice fish. In the meantime, it's a facade. Dude, our fishery. Look at the Cobia fishery, dude. Gone. Right. Gone. You know what they're really bad for? Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral had an incredible fishery. They had the Mosquito Lagoon. That place is done. You know, um, they had an incredible offshore fishery. It's gone, dude. I mean, there's still fish to catch there. And there's still great charter captain there. And they're still catching, you know, lots of lots of kingfish and red snapper. And there's a great tarpon bite going on there right now. And there's tons of fish still there. But compared to what it used to be, right? no comparison. Right. It's relative. And that, yeah. that's the thing that... that that's the hardest thing about our growth rate here in our coastal communities. This is a new guy that comes in, and I'll give you a great example. I've got a, I have a new client um, that I got last summer from Chicago. Great dude. We're going to become really good friends with him. But he's Canadian, then Chicago, then here, okay? And I take him out fishing, and he doesn't care what we catch as long as we catch stuff. And he's totally floored, and he's totally excited about the fishing that he's, that he's catching and we're getting hundreds of thousands of people like him moving to the state of Florida that have no clue what the fishing used to be like or what and it you really know what? should that's, be like. That's, but that's, it's, that's the same story. It, it's a timeline, right? People only can compare what they know. Right. So when, when people first come to Florida, let's say this is their first time here, and they, they go out there and they get some black fins and some sailfish, they think that's, the, you know, that's, that's their reference point. You know, until things get down the road, they don't have, they can't conceive it. And, and all we sound like is those old time captains that would tell us stories about how great it actually used to be. Right. You know, like I was talking to an old timer in Key West when I was down there with Billy Delph. Dude, this guy fished with, with Billy's dad um, and unreal, dude. He was telling me they used to catch 80 pound cobia in Key West Harbor, 60 pound kings, 40 pound permit. Right. They would just fish in the harbor. They, wouldn't, they didn't have to go far. Right, dude. They didn't even. He told me stories like there was no GPS, there was no none of that, no electronics. They had a big tugboat um, compass on their on their on their boat, and they would drive around. And the way he found reefs was looking for turtles and cobia. That's how he found reefs. Right, and then that's where he would fish. You know, they didn't they didn't have a chart and and a and a GPS that showed them all these artificial reefs. There was no artificial reefs or that stuff back then, dude. Like, and, and those guys slayed, they caught so many fish and that's the problem. Like everything is so, it's so easy now, you know, like, you know, and even in the Bahamas, I'm, I'm noticing, dude, it sucks there compared to what it was. 
No, it's just over overfishing mostly by the commercial industries, but it you know keeps going on. And if you just look at the history of our particular YouTube channels, because they've been around for over a decade, if you look at the amount of fish and the type of footage um, that we were able to get just 10 years ago, take the Bill Dance episode oh, that dude, we did five just 10 years, years ago. Just, five years ago. Right. And those fisheries are gone. They don't exist I can't anymore. can't even go there anymore. And we were doing TV shows in there 10 years ago. Dude, five, six years ago, I remember I could catch a limit of cobia almost every day in Stewart. I haven't seen a cobia besides one. No, I've seen a couple of cobia, but I, like at those spots, I haven't seen a cobia all year. Right. Not one. Right. Just th- those fisheries are gone. And the reason they're gone is because the bait is gone. You know, we've, we, I remember, dude, seeing schools of sardines, acres in diameter and 40 feet thick. I mean, there were so many sardines. It was, it was insane. Try to buy frozen Florida sardines at a taco shop now. Right. Good luck. They're, right. they're a product of China or they're a product of Indonesia. You're not going to get them because they don't exist anymore. In the meantime, we've totally devastated our estuaries by yep. filling it in with concrete and then poisoning it through infrastructure and bed, bed uh, drain systems. And the whole thing is collapsed in the last 10 years. And I mean collapsed. Not that we can't catch any fish, but it's not the same Florida. And I'd like to see people concentrate on that. Instead you know what I tell people? My first, my first vision of Florida was in 2003. That's when I first came down here. I went fishing. And... I fell in love with the fishery in 2004. The fishery I fell in love with doesn't exist anymore. Correct. Dude, 10 years ago, guys would run the beaches. You know, you didn't even need a tower. They'd find manta rays and they'd, there'd be 80, 100 pound Kobe on them. There'd be giants. Yeah. I have, dude, I have spent countless hours with my drone searching and, and, you know, looking at fish behavior on the beach. I, I've seen Cobia twice. And these guys used to slay them, bro. They, it doesn't exist anymore. That, that, that's gone. Dude, our snook fishery here in Port Everglades is damn near gone. And I used to laugh about it a decade ago, 15 years ago, because I could sit here in Fort Lauderdale in a somewhat urban area and crush these 30 pound snooks consistently over the course yeah. of the year. And now I feel bad fishing for them because the fishery has been devastated here. Devastated. And most of it is from pollution. And like you said, the pollution immediately kills the fry and the bait fish. And the fishery is now gone. And then you have the the tarpon that we fish for. There's places I know in the Bahamas now that have a fishery for tarpon that never had them, at least in my lifetime. And a tarpon's a little bit different than a snook. Where a snook needs fresh water to survive. They can't live in the Bahamas. Well, and a, and a tarpon can decide, okay, I want to go to the Bahamas. And they start swimming and they go over there. Yep. <laughs> you know, and people have sent me pictures of massive schools of tarpon out in the blue water. And it's true. Those fish can do what they want. So they come to Florida, a lot like, a, say, a tourist would come to Florida. And they're like, man, the restaurants suck here now. And I can't get enough to eat. I'm going to go hang out over here in the Bahamas. And they do. You know, the problem now in the Bahamas is, is, and I haven't fully confirmed this yet, but what I have heard 
is after Dorian, the Chinese have basically been given, due to the amount of money that they've helped with infrastructure, some of that, they have commercial fishing rights now in the Bahamas. I've heard the same thing, and um, that would be typical for the Bahamas. So you could say bye-bye Bahamas um, real soon. That won't take long. You know, it won't take long. Set up a few long lines, start some, dragging some nets, and you can wipe that place out real quick. Well, the, um, the Bahamians have done a good job of exploiting the piss out of their natural resources, and I can't, can't say that I blame them. But- you know what I find interesting is in the Bahamas, they passed – the way the laws are written now, you can't even go and catch and release a shark. If you accidentally hook one, you can – you know, you can catch it and let it go, but you can't target sharks in the Bahamas. I find that incredible. You know, like who made this law? I understand harvesting a shark, but like catching and releasing them. I mean, when you look at Florida, dude, especially like, you know, the Jupiter area where there's a ton of sharks, that's all there is. Right. You ain't catching anything else. You know, like good luck. You know, you're not going to, even if you hook a nice kingfisher wahoo it's not gonna get you're not gonna get to the boat especially the customer won't to get eaten right and then i mean you bring up the shark thing right selective outrage they get they get outraged by you pulling a giant tarpon out of the water for a photo that might be a world record but they have no problem bang sticking a shark or they have no problem watching the fishery go on in boca grand where every tarpon that they release they're basically feeding to a shark if the shark didn't need it while they're on the line and people are okay with that you know, especially in Boca Grande where they can go deep. I mean, dude, you're, 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 I've, I've had tarp. I caught a huge, like 150 pound tarpon in a, on a kayak and he dragged me out to 80 feet of water. Dude, it was so miserable trying to get that fish up. I was like, I, I don't want to do this again. Like this is, this is not even fun anymore. And what do you do when a tarpon drags you into deep water and he goes deep and you're, you got fly fishing tackle. Dude, that fish is dead, especially if there's sharks around. He ain't, he ain't coming up easy. Right. Well, Boca Grande, I mean, it's undebatable. The place is a giant chum slick. Um, every yeah. time you catch a tarpon, a shark will, will tee off on Do you want to hear a funny story? Sure. I went to Boca Grande for three days. And I'm sorry, I went there for five days. We fished three straight days for sharks in Boca Grande. Fresh cow nose rays, fresh bonita, fresh, tons of fresh bait. First two days we tried from the beach. The last day we literally drifted fresh baits through the tarpon schools. We couldn't get a bite, dude. Really? Could not get a bite. It was so bad, dude, that um I realized that place has sharks, but they're they're there and they're not there. Like they're not always there. And and I I got so frustrated. Bro, I haven't been, I haven't gone back there and that was years ago. I won't go back. <laughs> I've no interest because it's a waste of my time. That's how bad the shark fishing was there. But then, like, then you see those days when there's, it's just like every tarpon you hook gets annihilated. Right. Right. You know, um, same thing in Tampa, same thing in, in the Keys. You know, it, it doesn't happen as much on the East Coast. You know, not as much because there's not as many big sharks hanging around with these, you know, these coastal tarpon. But it can. Well, it's just the selective out- outrage just drives me crazy. And then the fishing industry as a whole all the boat companies and sponsors and so on and so forth that promote themselves through that fishery. Where's the outrage that they're feeding those fish to the sharks? 
anyway. People are selective on how they... People justify their lifestyle. So basically, it, it doesn't matter um, if they're killing tarpon or not or the pulling of the water as long as they do it the way that they think they should do it. In their mind, they're justified. You know, and that's the problem with society is, you know, I'm not, I'm only entitled to your opinion. That's how I feel most people are. You know, <laughs> I'm only entitled to your opinion. Sure. And um, it's a very dangerous mindset because it, it, it really prohibits creativity. It prohibits, I mean, think about it, dude. Like people, I mean, I feel bad for comedians, dude. Can you imagine trying to be a comedian in today's world? You say one thing, you're canceled. Right. It's nuts. And it's selective. Yeah. I mean, some people can say whatever they want. Other people, they can't. They, they say one word or one thing. Dude, one of my favorite people on television was Don Cherry. Okay. I don't know. Some of your viewers might know who he is. He was Hockey Night in Canada. This guy said what he wanted, didn't care. Old school guy. And in Canada, that's where I grew up. They, on I think it was on Remembrance Day, everyone wore a poppy to remember the, the fallen soldiers from World War One, World War Two. You know, and they were all all those crosses are in uh, they call it Flanders Field, and they, that's where those poppies that grow there. So everyone wears a poppy to remember the soldiers on that day. And when I was a kid, like if I didn't wear my poppy, you got. If at because you had to wear it the whole day at school. If you took it off, you went to the principal's office. Like there was there was no no debate. Don Cherry said on Hockey Night in Canada, you know, if you come to this country, respect our culture, wear a poppy, and respect those who died to make this country what it is today. Cancelled. <laughs> Go on. Telling people to respect the soldiers that died for their freedom. Yeah, it's unbelievable, dude. It's a weird world we live in. It's a you know, really weird world. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, bro. I'm not breaking the law. You know, I'm gonna. I want to be a great example to people, but I'm also not gonna cave to people's opinions. You know, and you know what? If I want to take a tarpon out of the water, and I'm in a state or in a country that doesn't allow that, I mean that 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 allows that. You know, if I can go, let's say there's something that, that, that like, like, like in the Gulf of Florida, you can only keep, like, I think it's one trigger fish per person, right? Which I think is ridiculous, but whatever. Yeah. I, is, I don't even know. If, is there even a trigger fish limit here on the East Coast? Like, Not you that can, I know of, but. No. I mean, I could be wrong. Whoever's ever listening, please check it. But if I want to kill five trigger fish, I think I can kill five trigger fish. You know, and, 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 I, and the, in the Gulf, they have a season for them. They can't kill them year round so where's the elk cry oh look at us on the east coast we're just we're just across the across the state from you and look at we're whacking them non-stop same thing with the amberjack same thing with a lot of fish so you know it, it's selective criticism and it's just ridiculous you know like some fisheries are better than other fisheries and some fisheries allow things better you know different than others you know like in louisiana i'm, pre I'm pretty sure you can take a tarp into the water as many times as you want I know you can shoot him with a spear gun. So where's the outcry? Right. You know, like everyone, like I said, they, they want to, you're entitled to their opinion. And, 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 and I think social media has really, really brought that to the light. And, and what I've noticed, man, is some people, 
they're not on there to voice their opinion. They're just on there to create contention. Yes. Yes. I'd say about 30% of the people that comment probably follow that. Josh, um, I really appreciate your time. And um, it was a great conversation. It's been no, here, dude. Way, way past overdue to have you on the podcast. But um, before we get off, is there anything that you want to say to the audience that you didn't cover so far? You know, like I said, dude, being a conservationist applies to every level of the fishery. It doesn't just apply to the big fish. It, it applies to everything. You have to value life. You know, you have to value um, at the same time, you know, it's, it, it, I'm not telling you to go to extreme and go, yeah, you know, keep them wet and, you know, don't touch the fish because you might take their slime off or some nonsense like that. Like, dude, if you catch a fish and you want to hold it, take a picture. If you want to eat it, eat it. You know, um, you know, don't, don't, I mean, I'm not saying go, go gaff a fish, take a picture and let it go. You know, respect the, okay, that's what we mean by respect in life, you know, mm-hmm. like, but it, it, dude, if you want to keep a sailfish because you want to smoke it, you're entitled to do so, you know, and you shouldn't be shamed into doing that. Right. You know, don't 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 fall for people's aggressiveness. You know, like you have a right to to consume. You have a right to take a picture. You have a right. You, you have a right. That's your that's 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 what our right is as, a, as an angler right. is to document our catch. And if we want to eat it, eat it. Right. Right. Well, Josh. Really appreciate your time, and um, hopefully this isn't the last time you're on the Real Guy podcast. And uh, mullet runs right around the corner. But I can I'm really see what's going to happen this year, dude. I really am. And that's been my yeah. It's the same way. I remember, you know, like our I've seen our tech messages back and forth, dude. Like, you know, hey, you've seen any mullet up there? Because you want to know if they're coming down to you. Right? Are they are they headed down? You know, what are they doing? Like, that's and that, like you just said, like it's important to share information with people, you know, now I'm not saying go tell your commercial buddies, Hey, Hey, here's the most cool. Now go net them all. You know, that's not what I'm saying because you know, that's going to happen. But like, you know, Hey, you know, Jeff, if I can help you out and you can help me out. That's awesome, dude. That's what it's all about. Anyway, thanks a million for being on the real guy podcast. Um, I think the audience is going to really enjoy the conversation and I think you've enlightened them on a little bit on black tip age because as an entertainer i think it's important for entertainers to get on podcasts so people can actually get a good feel on what the person is when he's not entertaining so thanks for being on run that dog josh all right buddy you too man god bless